So, um, I had forgotten that it was school holidays initially, so I prepared a message on martyrdom. Um, I've been dropping the ball pretty badly on what to preach about and then at the last minute having to change. So we're not getting that sermon today. Uh, last night, Brooke, Brooke put, like, put a thing up on, the, on one of the White House communication things saying, just reminding parents that there's no children's church tomorrow. And I was like, mm, great. Uh, now, that being said, mostly the kids are being, because Jess has gotten rid of them, Giddy's still here. Nonetheless, I have prepared a different message. Uh, so I was going to talk about Stephen and... And, and uh, you know, with that whole episode. Uh, but instead, I'm going to talk about what happens very next in the book of Acts, in Acts 8, with Philip and the eunuch. Before we get to Philip and the eunuch, though, I uh, would like to read a whole bunch more than I had anticipated of stuff from the Old Testament. Because I know how much you love that. You love the Old Testament so much. Um, but it's really important because it sets the context for the entire New Testament and for the challenges that faced the, uh, the early church as they came out of their Judaism and went, oh, how do we manage this? And to a large extent, the challenges that they faced leaving their Judaism to embrace Jesus and the way of the kingdom are still the things that we are struggling with. There are lots of Christians who are really busy embracing the Torah and ignoring God's grace. Uh, that's like pretty standard still. So I want to look at this because it's still a real challenge for us as it was for the early church. Uh, so I want to start in Deuteronomy. Such a fun book. You know it. Um, so Deuteronomy is the context of Deuteronomy is that they've kind of the, the Israelite nation has left Egypt. And they've been through the Red Sea. They're in the desert. They're doing their thing and they misbehave a bit. And there's like this 40 years of wandering around in the desert. And the whole generation that left Egypt is now carked it and they're just on the edge of the promised land and Moses is kind of left and he's saying I want to explain to you the Ten Commandments because you weren't there the first time you're all the kids have grown up so he explains the Ten Commandments so the book of Deuteronomy is Moses teaching about the Ten Commandments it's basically the whole thing so in Deuteronomy 23 uh, with a whole bunch of extra stuff though because they've had 40 years to embellish the law by then uh, so in De- Deuteronomy 23 one uh, verses 1 to 3 it says this uh, I kid you not, it says, No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. Uh, no one who has had a um, testicular intervention is welcome in the assembly of the Lord. Crushing, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty unfortunate. Apparently enough to mention it. Um, all right, that's verse number one. It's an so important one. Circumcision good. Circumcision good. bad. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> number two. No one born of a forbidden marriage. This is the NIV. Straight up, the, the, the King James just says, no one who's a bastard. It literally just says that. It says, bastards, don't get in. Um, but the NIV sanitizes that to no one born of a forbidden marriage nor any of their descendants, it's even harsher, may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even to the 10th generation. Born out of wedlock, you, 10 generations of your offspring, not allowed in the assembly of the Lord. So remember, this is before they had a temple. So when it talks about the assembly of the Lord, it's talking about coming together as a community or around the tent of meeting to worship Yahweh. You're not welcome. If you've been crushed or mutilated, or if you uh, were born out of wedlock, you are not welcome in the assembly of the Lord. And just in case you tried to squeeze an Amorite or a Moabite in there, there's a special mention here. 
No Amorite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the 10th generation. And the 10th generation, like a lot of people think, this does not literally mean 10 generations. The, the 10 thing there is like a, a comment about basically eternity. It's saying, never will you allow someone who has been crushed or born out of wedlock or a Moabite or a dirty, stinking Amorite into the assembly of the Lord. And it goes on. The whole chapter, uh, it just goes on. And, and um, it says, these are the people that are not welcome. Here are the people that are in and here are the people that are out. Um, these are the people that they, they could live in the land. You know, a unit can live in the land, but he's not welcome in the temple. He's not welcome in the assembly of God. Uh, the problem with this is that uh, this is a law. This is literally in the book of the law. When it talks about the law of Moses, this is what it's talking about. The problem with this is that things change, people evolve, and even God, who says one thing at a certain time because that's what they need, will ultimately change what he says to a group of people. Just like, you know, Theodore's not allowed to pour milk in his own bowl, but Ari is. As Ari is now older, she's not going to pour two litres of milk into a tiny bowl. Giddy is, a, is a slightly better. He's not allowed to pour a full three litre bottle of milk. But Theodore, no, because I am tired of cleaning up litres of milk. So the rules are different. As they grow, as they mature, the rules change. And so the same is true for Israel. At this time, it's very clear, forever, because they were very black and white, forever, they thought, no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting could enter the assembly of the Lord. And no one born of a forbidden marriage or no Amorite or Moabite will ever ever enter into the assembly of the Lord. Um, that's the law. That's the Bible, right? Uh, you ever heard of Ruth? Ruth, who was the grandmother of King David. David, yeah? Anyone? Remember her? Yeah. Ruth the Moabite? Yeah. Awkward. <laughs> I could just be like people saying, Ruth is not allowed in the kingdom of... Let's write a whole book about her and put it in the Bible just to screw with them. <laughs> It's like this, it totally defies the Torah. It's like and this utter abominable thing that God said you must not do. Yeah, but we like Ruth. We'll make an exception for Ruth. We'll make an exception for Ruth. So Ruth, uh, her grandson is a guy named David. And then he has a son named Solomon. And Solomon builds a temple. And... Uh, you want to guess how many Amorites and Moabites were allowed in the temple? Not so many, because they still had the Torah. They still had the law of Moses. We don't let any eunuchs in. We don't let any bastards in. And we definitely don't let any Moabites in. So 400 years later, uh, if you recall, not that long ago, I talked about uh, the when the... Jerusalem got sacked by the Babylonians and they got taken off into exile. And there was this king named Zedekiah, who was king of Judah, which was the southern kingdom. And he was cheesed off at the treatment that Nebuchadnezzar was giving his people. So they said, we're not going to pay tribute. And Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm going to destroy you. And he, Nebuchadnezzar turned out, had a bigger army. Um, so Zedekiah got taken away and his sons got killed in front of him. And then they plucked his eyes out. It was a really horrible story. Uh, so they're in, in exile in Babylon and a, there is a prophet that is part of that kind of era, a guy named Isaiah. Uh, you might have heard of him. There's a big, fat, boring book by Isaiah. Um, not as bad as Deuteronomy. But, um, and he, 
he prophesied about the future of his people. So they're in exile. They have no temple. But he prophesies about the future. And it's not just about the temple. It's about the kingdom of God, about what it will look like one day when they go back into the land. And when they go back to the, the, the place that God had called them, and he speaks to their future as a people. So in Isaiah 56, I'm going to read you a bunch of, of um, that because it, it provides some context for what ha- happens later um, in the biblical story. It just says, this is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the one who does this, the person who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps their hands from doing any evil. Now, this is, this is where it starts to... There's a reason that the Jews kind of ignored most of their prophets and ended up kind of getting rid of them because they defied some of the rules some of the time. He says, Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them, I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And foreigners, like those Moabites and Amorites, who bind themselves to the Lord, will to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations." The sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. You see, this, there's this verse here in verse 7 where it says, my house will be called a house of prayer. Um, this is a verse that Jesus quotes. He doesn't quote from Deuteronomy 23. Don't let the bastards in. Don't let the foreigners in. Don't let the, he, yeah, the foreign bastards. Yeah. He, doesn't, he doesn't quote from that. But he does quote in, um, when he enters the temple and he's looking around at the Pharisees who are controlling who is allowed in and who is not allowed in and what is acceptable and what is not acceptable and what's considered clean and unclean. He goes into that place and they are buying and selling and, and turning his temple into a den of thieves. And he turns over the tables and he gets a whip and he drives out all the animals. And he says, it is written... And he quotes from this verse in Isaiah 56. He says, it is written. He said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. See, when Jesus quotes the Old Testament, he quotes everyone is welcome. Anyone who comes to the Lord and anyone who is faithful and anyone, their their sacrifice will be accepted in my temple within the walls. You know, after the temple got sacked the first time, they rebuilt it again later on. Uh, this guy, Nehemiah, turned up and, and that was really neat. And, and then there was this other guy, Ezra. And anyway, they rebuilt the, rebuilt the, the temple grounds and the, the walls of Jerusalem. They rebuilt the temple. And later on, this guy, Herod, who you might have heard of, Herod the Great, 
He extended the temple and turned it into one of the great wonders of the world. And one of the contributions that Herod made is he built a fence all the way around it. And literally on the fence, it said, foreigners are not welcome. If you go in, he will kill you. Like a fence all the way around his little nation of the temple of Israel. I don't know if you've got, uh, if you've ever seen a, a, you know, a, an area where we put a big fence around and we tell all the foreigners they're not welcome. It's Australia. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's um it's strangely familiar to to our country. Um, and Isaiah says to the to that he says, "Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me.'" To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. That's not to be common to me. Now the sad thing is that Isaiah's vision did not come to pass when Nehemiah and Ezra turned up and then when Herod extended... What Isaiah was saying about the future of the kingdom of God did not come to pass when they rebuilt that temple. It was like they went back and they said, Deuteronomy tells us exactly who's in. And we'll just ignore Isaiah. We'll ignore Ruth. We'll ignore Rahab. We'll ignore all of these people all through the history who were told you're not allowed in. And we'll just go back to, um, to the model that says, yeah, yeah, just us and no one else. When Nehemiah and Ezra came back and they rebuilt the city and the, and the temple, um, when they returned, there was a remnant of people who were still there who'd been left behind by Nebuchadnezzar. Kind of like the poorest people got left behind. And uh, they ended up marrying Samaritan women. When Nehemiah and Ezra and that turned back up again, uh, in Ezra you can read, they basically said to those guys, you need to divorce your wives and abandon your children because they're foreigners. They're not welcome here. This is the, the, um, the disdain and the just the the racism and the evil that existed within this culture that exists in our culture. So then we end up in Acts, which is where I actually want to preach from. Now we have some context. (laughs) And uh, so we've had Pentecost, which is where I preached about last week. And then Peter gets up and he says, you need to be saved. And he doesn't say from hell. He says, you need to be saved from your corrupt generation. The generation that you were a part of is so corrupt, they killed Jesus and said it was a good thing. The generation you are part of is so corrupt that they tear babies away from their mothers and they say it's a good thing. It's so corrupt that they, you know, he, he was saying to them, it's your generation. It's the perversion and the cultural complicity that you have between religion and state. And it is grotesque and you must be saved from that. And then he says, and then it says that they got baptized. And they, they, in the same way as, as, as Noah came through the flood and was and, you know, given liberty, in the same way that the Egyptians came through the Red Sea and out of Egypt they were given liberty, in the same way that the, the, um, the, the nation of Israel went through the River Jordan and into the land and were given what God had promised to them, we then get baptized and we leave a life and, of, of sin and devastation and we leave the bondage that comes from that and we have freedom. So 3,000 were added to their number And they found that freedom and they were baptized as part of this community of believers that had a radically different worldview to the Jewish worldview they'd come from. (coughs) And then we fast forward a bit and we have this uh, incident with Stephen um, where he is martyred. And then right after that in Acts 8, in verse 26, is where I want to pick up. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, 
Go south to the road. Now, Philip had been preaching in Samaria, all the places you're not meant to go and talk to people you're not meant to talk to, to preach to them about the kingdom of God. Anyways, he said, go south, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. So this is where we get Candace, the name Candace from. And uh, so it's kind of a weird one culturally because in, um, in Ethiopia, it was run by women. The, their monarchy was based on women, not men. Um, and as was often true culturally at the time, if you were uh, in a, an environment where there were lots of women who you wanted to keep safe, you would only let them be near men who had no nuts because uh, it turned out that men with no testosterone behave better. So all of her high officials were eunuchs. So here is a Ethiopian eunuch who is a very wealthy eunuch. He's in charge of the treasury of Kandake. And he has gone, it says, to Jerusalem to worship. So he's a guy who has an interest in faith. And on his way home, he's sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Now, this was in a time in history where they didn't have a printing press. You wanted a book of Isaiah, some scribe had to write out that book by hand. It was crazy expensive. But here is a very rich dude who is obviously um, devout in his desire to worship and understand God. And he is leaving Jerusalem on his way down past Gaza. And he um, is reading from the book of Isaiah. Now, reading in our head is a very modern thing. It was only about 300 years ago that people decided, oh, you can read without having to make noise. I know that's weird, but in all of history before that, to read was always out loud. No one read in their head. That was a weird thing. We know that because there are lots of things written about it. It's a, a cultural thing. So he's, and we know it because in this scripture, Philip listens, hears him reading it. So we know he's reading it out loud. Uh, so he's sitting in his chariot in, and because um, he's a rich dude in a chariot with a fancy book and no nuts. Um, and the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And Philip says, do you understand what you are reading? How can I, he said, unless, no, it was more like, how can I, he said. <laughs> it's terrible. You should not have laughed at that. Shame on you. You are terrible people. Okay. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. So this is from, I, uh, from Isaiah 56. So we just, no, this is from Isaiah 53. We just read from 56. So he's just, he's almost up to the bit about eunuchs in Isaiah. Not quite though. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, he said, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. 
What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Told him the good news. He's like, who is this talking about? And he's like, well, that, that's actually a story about a guy I know. This is remarkable. Philip's like, this is, this is the best evangelistic opportunity I've ever seen in my life. There is literally a devout religious man reading about Jesus being prophesied, asking who it is. So Philip explains to him, This Jesus who died and rose again. And he explains to him all the way through to explaining baptism, just like I did before. I'm guessing that he he started there and explained everything there was to know about Jesus. And then the eunuch says, here's some water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? Now, this isn't just a question of literally, wow, there's only like three steps out of the chariot. He's not saying what stands in the way. He's saying, Am I allowed to get baptized? He's saying, I've just been in Jerusalem, a God-fearing man, and I'm pretty sure they didn't let him in the temple. I'm pretty sure that they told him to get lost because he's not welcome. What is going to stop me from doing this? I'm a foreigner from Ethiopia. I'm a eunuch. Is that going to stop me from being allowed to be baptized? Will I be accepted the way that I am into this kingdom that you speak about? Will this Jesus who was like a lamb to the slaughter, who died and rose again and proclaims a new kingdom, am I welcome in that new kingdom? What would stop me? What would get in the way? What would stand in between me and that kingdom? Am I allowed to enter into this community as a foreigner and as a eunuch? Will Jesus accept me? What is the fine print? Do I need to turn to Deuteronomy 23 verse 1? You're not welcome. Because he'd already experienced that rejection. Isaiah was way ahead of his time when he preached about a new kingdom. A new kingdom where even the eunuch would be accepted, not just into the walls, but into the temple. And their offering would be a fragrant offering to God. And that they would be given a new name, a name that would last forever, that was sons and daughters of the Most High. Salvation wasn't offered in Isaiah, in his worldview of the kingdom of God. Salvation wasn't offered on, offered on the basis of ethnicity. It wasn't offered on the basis of your sexuality. It wasn't offered on the basis When Philip preached good news to this man, it was good news because he said, all are welcome in the kingdom of God. And it doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter if you're circumcised. It doesn't matter about your gender or your social status or your observance of the Torah. None of that matters. It is by faith that we are saved and it is through baptism that we become part of a a new kingdom, a fellowship of believers. And it's through obedience that we are working at our salvation daily. You are welcome. Let's get in the water. Let's baptize you. This was one of the really big questions in the early church. This This was their gay marriage. This was their big question in the early church. Who is allowed in and who's not allowed in? 
And when the, 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 you know, a bunch of leaders of the church, they went to Antioch and they were like, well, we'll let you in, uh, but you're uncircumcised, so you're like a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. You're not as important as us. So Paul is constantly hammering on about how that's not true. And then he gets in, he's in Galatians, and he says this thing, which defines this forevermore for us as, as, as New Testament Christians. It says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And then he explains it for the people who are thick, for the people who are like, but the Bible's, but for the people who want to claim that the temple is this or that this is better or that they have more history or that they are from the great line of Benjamin or Abraham or some nonsense. He clarifies it. He says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Your ethnicity, your self-righteous history, the way you define your glory based on your ancestry, there is no longer Jew nor Gentile. And then he makes this radically subversive political statement. He says, there is neither slave nor free. In the kingdom of God, you can be the bloody king of, of, of Rome. You can be the emperor or you can be a slave and it doesn't matter. You're not more important in the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter. You can, you can be a really rich, important, stuck up white politician and you are not more important than a poor baby who was locked in asylum. There is no longer slave nor free. There is no longer any of this way that you would divide, that you would separate, that you would decide who's in, who is out. There is no longer Jew nor Gentile. That means there's no longer Australian and foreigner. In the kingdom of God, they're all welcome. There's no longer slave nor free. There is no longer male or female. Into your hierarchical culture that says that women are property, they get bought and sold. There's none of that anymore. We don't believe in that anymore. In the kingdom of God, in the new kingdom that Jesus died and rose again to establish, women are just as empowered and powerful and important and capable and recognized as men. And you know what? That new kingdom reflected just what it did in the garden. And everything in between the garden and then was falling short of God's mandate. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. See, Paul, when he's teaching here, he eliminates all the hierarchy. The Jewish Christians, they had a hierarchy that they wanted to impose that made them the, the, you know, the bearers of something more important or more powerful or more true or more righteous. He eliminated their ethnic hierarchy and their economic hierarchy and their gender hierarchy. And he said, in the kingdom of God, we are all one in Christ. And I tell you what, in 50 AD, this was a very radical message. In 2018 AD, this is a radical message. Because we are part of a corrupt generation that still thinks that men are more important, that still thinks us is more important than them, that still thinks that we should be patriotic. You know what, America, you can literally buy a Patriot's Bible and all the way through it, it justifies why America is greater than everyone else. And it just like, so it has like a Bible verse and then it quotes some president and to back up their racism and their bigotry. It Greg Boyd wrote an article about it and he quoted a bunch of sections and I was just like, this has got to be satire. It cannot be real. And it was, I looked it up. You can literally buy it and it's abominable. It is everything that is wrong with westernized Christianity. Because we want hierarchies. We want us and them. We want to treat people like they are less valuable or less important or less 
welcome. So Philip is with this eunuch and this eunuch is reading a prophecy about a new kingdom. And then he says, what would stand in between me and getting baptized? And I can just, I can feel the, the, the you know, the, in his throat that this eunuch is like, this is my big moment. Here I am. I went all the way to Jerusalem. I, I, I want to know about God. I'm reading this book and I have this man here and he's telling me about a new kingdom who fulfills everything from, from the scriptures. Am I welcome? Is there anything that would stand in between me and this Jesus? And they get out of the chariot and he baptizes him. In the kingdom of God, we are all one in Christ. This is a radical message and it's a radical message that we need to hear. And it's, and it's the kind of subversive message that we need to promote. Because never before in history, I don't think, have we treated people so cheaply. We know so much better, but we continue to do it anyway. And the choices that we make, the way that we uh, uh, are complicit with our corrupt generation, the way we are complicit with the commercialism and with the way we are complicit with the warmongering, the way we are complicit with the drawing of lines around our territories. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves, clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave, nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you, that you are king of a kingdom that welcomes all and that you don't buy into the worldly, broken, corrupt hierarchies across genders and, and, uh, and sexuality and patriotism and ageism and all of the isms Lord that you just don't buy into it you're not interested in that type of kingdom and I pray that we would seek out your kingdom here on earth that we would establish uh, a kingdom on earth that honors all people and doesn't establish boundaries or barriers to keep people out I pray that this would be a church where people are encouraged to come in, where we say, yeah, there's nothing that stands between you and, and this Jesus that loves you. There's nothing that would stop you from being baptized and being a member of this kingdom and this community and this family. Heavenly Father, I pray you would break down inside of us the, um, the cultural racism and the cultural patriarchy and the cultural, all the things that we've adopted from our culture that we don't even see. They're so pervasive, we don't even see it. And that makes, that makes us complicit in so many ways. I pray that you would show us that and break those things down and, and allow us to faithfully be like Philip and to bring and welcome people into that kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. I should wrap up there. It's already 10 past 12. I just want to share one last story because I, um, I met with a, an old friend this week who I hadn't seen in, in many, many years. A funny little, funny guy. He's a, he, and he's a, he's a Christian guy, a really beautiful man. And um, he was talking about how he had some conflict with someone um, and it was about sexuality, it was about, about gay marriage. And, and he made this comment. He said, we need to make a stand. 
I think he thought that I'd be on his team. Like, you know, like, um, like I think he was trying to bolster his Christian credentials by saying that he was willing to be persecuted for the stand that he took. And, um, and I, I just kind of said to him, yeah, I, I do think we need to make a stand. I see Jesus, he makes a stand. And when I see the woman caught in adultery, Jesus makes a stand. And he says, the people who are throwing rocks here are wrong. He makes a stand to protect the person who is being persecuted. He makes a stand to protect the person who is being bullied, the person who is being isolated, the person who is being persecuted. He makes a stand. The stand that he makes is always against the people that want to hold back the kingdom of God. He always makes a stand against the people that want to throw rocks instead of embracing people. He always takes a stand against the people that get in the way. The only time Jesus makes accusations, the only time that he gets angry with people, the only time that he really is when he's saying to people, you stop people getting in. The way you treated the eunuch, the way you treated this woman, the way you treated the children, the way you treated... Again and again, Jesus makes a stand to protect and honour people and to welcome them into his kingdom. And that's his politics, that's his, that's his worldview, that's, that's his kingdom. And I just... I want us to make a stand for Jesus that all are welcome. Uh, it, and not be the Christians that say, well, in Deuteronomy 23, it says that this person's not welcome. They're not allowed to be baptized. They're not allowed to come to communion. They're not allowed to be in our midst. I think there are very few exceptions. Paul says, if you're sleeping with your mother-in-law and saying that it's a beautiful thing, Probably that's not a good thing. Under those conditions, I will, uh, I will accept that if a person wants to promote sleeping with mother-in-laws, saying that it's righteous, that perhaps we should, we should say that's not righteous. Um, but I think the rest of the time, we should probably just leave it up to God's grace. And we should welcome people where they're at as a eunuch, where they're at as a woman caught in adultery, welcome them where they're at as a woman who has got five or six or you know, however many husbands at a well in Samaria who's an isolated person in her community, we should welcome where they're at and say there is nothing that would stop you from coming and entering into this, this kingdom of ours. Um, so now I would normally pray, but I already did that. So, <laughs> super awkward. Um, sorry about that. Um, we already did prayer and we already did the closing prayer thing. So... Um, uh, yeah, uh, Anita would like us to take a photo so that she can remember some of us. And... <laughs>